0: If you would turn in your scriptures to the book of Revelation, chapter 14, the book of Revelation, chapter 14, beginning at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water Another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Fathers, we come to your word. We ask in the power of your Holy Spirit to quicken our hearts, enliven us, fill us, give us understanding and wisdom. We invite you to work within us, bring conviction, Bring out worship, and we offer it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was the first mark on my body. It hurt like crazy. I was five years old, and I broke my arm in two places, my wrist and my elbow, They put it in a cast, of course, and for the six weeks of the healing in the cast, I would often complain to my parents how much it hurt, how much my wrist hurt. They thought I was being a little bit of a baby. Well, when they took the cast off after six weeks, what they found was there had been a bubble underneath the cast in contact with my wrist. And over the six weeks, it just wore right through my skin and flesh. And you could actually look in the hole and see my bones. My parents felt pretty bad. I got a lot of mileage out of that, I can tell you. (laughs) And as we grow up, and as we age, we have lots of marks on our bodies, don't we? Scars mostly, perhaps some burns and some stitches, some surgeries. Maybe we should have a competition here at People's Church. Who has the most marks? I'm not sure what the prize would be, perhaps a, a box of Band-Aids or something. The scriptures tell us about two marks that are very important for us to know about. And the first of these marks is the mark of the beast. Turn over to chapter 13 of Revelation. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast. This is the false prophet. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed, the Antichrist. those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man, and his number is 666. And so we have this second beast, this false prophet, who's actively recruiting on behalf of the Antichrist. And he presents a twofold test. The first is to worship antichrist in the image or be slain to be killed verse 15 says that he might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain it's a test of loyalty it's a test of allegiance of course with the incredible signs and the miracles and going on fire from heaven people are going to be amazed and already they are, to the spirit of Antichrist in the world, just a hair's breadth from worshiping him and following him. And we read in verse 16 that they will secondly receive the mark. He causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, it's all people, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. And if you are not marked, then you will be excluded from the economic activity or economic life of the community. He says in verse 17, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. Hmm. Unable to participate in normal commercial activity. No buying, no selling, not being able to purchase basic goods being refused at the grocery store, not able to buy prescriptions or necessities, because this mark will be necessary to participate in economic life, because it means you have joined the, the group that worships, that worships the Antichrist. And this mark seems to be a literal physical mark, like a brand or a tattoo on the right hand or the forehead, that part of the body that is not typically covered. It's visible. And the word here is Shargma, which means an imprint or a stamp or a seal. It was a word used for coinage where the emperor's the emperor's uh, face would be imprinted on the coin. It meant it, it belonged to him. It meant ownership. And these sort of marks were common in ancient history. I mean, uh, if you were a slave or servant, typically you would have such a mark. It signified that you were owned, that you belonged to someone. And here it means you belong to the instead of Christ, the one who is against Christ, the Antichrist. Your loyalty is to him. Even expressed so far as in worship, adoration of him. Revelation 14 gave us a warning. Look over at verse 9 there. If anyone worships the beast and its image... And receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Verse 11, the smoke of their torment goes up and day, day and night, forever. These worshipers of the beast and its image. you see, this, this mark has signified their ownership and their worship of Antichrist. the mark. Of his name. And so the mark of the beast, this mark is physical evidence of allegiance to Antichrist. So much so that those who receive, chapter 14 says, they are doomed, they are lost eternally. They have chosen sides, as it were. Those who worship the image, receive the mark of Antichrist, are declaring their loyalty to him. And they bear the mark of the ownership of Satan. It is volitional, that is, willful. The spirit of Antichrist has done its work. It's now just a small step away from worship. It's not forced on anyone this mark. It's not secret. It's not done by mistake. It's not hidden. It is received, verse 14 says here in chapter 14, and appears to be literal, visible, because it must be shown in order to participate in commercial activity. We're told that it involves what was called gematria. Gematria in verse 18, where he talks about the number and calculating the number of a man. The number is 666. Six, six. Gematria was an ancient popular practice of assigning numerical value to to letters. <laughs> it was a very popular thing, and 666 six, six was. Considered to be the number of incompletion and chaos. But also here we're told it's the number of a name. And so without worshiping Antichrist. And receiving the corresponding physical mark. You can't participate in the normal economy. Now as Christians who worship God. God the true God, the ever-living God, we, of course, are always to be ready for the return of Christ. And we are to be always training ourselves. We're to be always practicing. We're to be living out our faith. And certainly in the area of economic life, we want to be able to give up small things now so that if we are called to, we are prepared to give up big things then. That is, we need to show up always for practice. And it is a good practice for you and I who are Christians to live simply, to do all you can to make sure you're not dependent or tied to things Our culture wants us to find our identity and our value in things, in possessions, always wanting more and to gather more. It keeps the economy going. And and so we are constantly being monetized and commercialized, and that's our culture, but We need to fight that. I mean, some of you have gardens. That's wise. Some of you raise chickens. I wish. (laughs) Others think and pray before making a purchase because you know you're given to impulse spending. And so you want to take some time to think it through. All good things. Because we know we don't lay up. Treasures here on earth are in heaven, and Jesus said, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. Our life doesn't exist or doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Your life, that's not who you are and how much you have. We don't love money, and we brought nothing into the world, and we could take nothing out. I was reminded of this this week, where one of you were telling me about downsizing, seeing someone downsize. You know, when you think of it, we we downsize typically as we get older. We might have big home and lots of things, and we downsize to a smaller home, and we have to let some things go as we can't manage the bigger house anymore or the property, and then we downsize more and more perhaps even into a senior's home <laughs> and eventually into a care facility where it's just just the bed and a chair and, and we downsize even more into just the clothes they will put on you in your casket. Perhaps living simply now and relying on one another and Borrowing from one another whenever possible or avoiding debt wherever we can may help us if it's our generation that is to see the return of Christ. And we are excluded from economic activity because we will not worship Antichrist. One of our seniors here some time ago told me that he never looks at flyers or catalogs. He says, I don't need to to see those things. I don't need to see things I don't need because then suddenly I think I do need them or I would like them. I don't need to see things I don't even know exist and suddenly I know they exist and I want them. So he never looks at flyers and and, and catalogs. There will come a time when a mark on the right hand of the forehead will be needed to buy or to sell. And that mark will be received by those who worship the instead of Christ. And for Christians, practicing doing without now and living simply is not a bad thing. And there is another mark. There is another mark. The second mark this, this morning, it's the mark of God. God has his own mark. You can't see it. You can't see it on others. It's a supernatural mark. God sees it. He puts it there. It's a spiritual mark. And this mark indicates that you are set apart in Jesus Christ. I mean, Scripture speaks of various marks that God puts on people. In Ezekiel and the siege of Babylon around Jerusalem, the Lord said to an angel, Go into the midst of the city and put a mark on the foreheads of men who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed in its midst. Men who are just grieving about the sinfulness of the people. He says, Put a mark on them, on their foreheads. During the last years of human history, in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, the angels told, do not harm the earth or the sea until we've sealed the bondservants of God on their foreheads. And Revelation chapter 22 says that God's people shall see him face to face and his name will be on their foreheads. Revelation chapter 3 in the church of Philadelphia. He says, I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. And of course, when we come to faith in Christ, Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians that we are sealed for the day of redemption, sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. The imprint, the seal is put upon us that we belong to God. He owns us. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, he says, which is the earnest of your inheritance. God writes all over those who are his, sealed by his spirit, his name, his city, marked by God for God. Those who have felt deeply their own sin, who have repented and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, their Redeemer, and follow Him and worship Him, the true Christ. Our allegiance is to Him. Our devotion is to Him. And He puts a mark upon our forehead. In ancient Jewish history, the shepherds would gather their flock and they would have a great large pen. All their sheep would be put in this pen. And over here they would have another large pen. And between the two pens was... A passageway that was only big enough for one sheep at a time to pass and the shepherd would be there and sometimes a priest of God would be there and he would be there with what was called a rod and a bowl of red ochre which was like red paint and they would dip the end of the rod in the red ochre. And at the end of the rod, they had carved the, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is tav, which literally means mark. The ancient tav, the Old Testament, was actually the shape of a cross, interesting enough. And so the shepherd or priest would sit there, and the sheep would eventually make their way through the passage, one by one. And he would count them: one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight. Nine, ten, And the tenth one. The rod would flash down. And he would leave. The mark. The tov. The red ochre. On the forehead of the sheep. And this would continue. On and on as the sheep went through. And every now and then the the rod would flash down and the red ochre in the shape of the cross would be left on the sheep. After all had gone through, this pen over here had all the sheep in it and then they would go through and separate out the ones that didn't have the mark, leaving those that did. And the book of Leviticus says that he made the sheep to pass to pass under the rod. And every tenth sheep, Leviticus says, was holy unto the Lord. Set apart for the Lord. Now what's interesting is in the book of Ezekiel, this same image of Passing under the rod is used to describe people, not sheep. Where people are made to pass under the rod. The book of Ezekiel speaks of this. And says that I will make you pass under the rod. And set you apart for the covenant. And I will take out all the rebels, he says. He's going to separate those who he has mocked and all the rest are rebels set against God. Hmm. He made the people pass under the rod and now and then his rod flashes down and touches the forehead of his own with the mark the toth, the red, the cross, and then they would be separated out. The rebels and those who have the mark of God would be left. This separation is everywhere in Scripture. The sheep who had the mark and those that didn't. The wheat and the tares the sheep and the goats the children of God and the children of the devil the mark of God or the mark of the beast it's a sign of ownership which mark you have it's a sign of who you worship Jesus said I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. And David in Psalm 23, when he says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He's speaking of passing under the rod, that it wasn't a fearful thing because he knew he was God's. In a way, everyone passes under the rod of God. Everyone. There is no exemption. There's no man or woman who is exempt. One by one, the moment comes when each person stands in the spot ordained and appointed for them. And there sits the shepherd or the high priest of God. There is the rod of God posed to flash and strike and leave its mark. There is the man who claims there is no God. The rod is still. There is the woman who said all her life that she was a good person. There is the teenager who cares for nothing but pleasure. There is the senior who lived his life morally, but only saw the sins of other people. There is the one who shook his fist at God. There is the one who said there is many ways to God. There's the one who sat in church all his life, but never repented of his own sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. And for all of these, the rod is still. They pass by under the rod. They pass by on the wide road that leads to destruction. But now and then, now and then, there is the man who feels deeply his own sinfulness. There is the woman who weeps and calls out to God for mercy and grace. There is the senior who knows they deserve nothing. There is the teenager Who fears God? There is the one who repents and believes on Jesus. And the rod, the rod flashes down, and the mark of God is left behind the seal of the Spirit. This one is his, this one is saved. This one will be gathered to him on Resurrection Day. This one is bought by the blood of Christ. What mark will it be for you? What mark will it be for you? The mark of Antichrist or the mark of God? You can settle this now. You can settle this now. Admit you're a sinner. Feel it. Know it. And repent of your sin before God. And put your faith in the sacrifice God made for your sin. The one who died for you and shed his blood for you. His blood covers every stain, every sin. He died for you. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's coming again. Give him your worship. He alone is worthy. Our true God and ever-living God. Put your faith in him. Follow him. Settle it. And he will leave his mark on your forehead. And you are safe eternally. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, your servants will worship you. They will see your face and your name will be on their foreheads. We thank you. We we have done nothing. It's entirely your doing. Thank you for writing upon us, marking us. And in these troubled days, oh Father, help us to practice. Help us to put our faith in action. Help us to live simply. Help us to be cautious and careful. We know there is a day coming when the vast, vast majority of people will worship Antichrist. But not us. Not us. Even if it costs us our life, not us. For we have eternal life. We praise you and thank you. Strengthen us, encourage us, and help us walk with your mark on us in faithfulness, truth. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.